heard this story about um, some people who bought a 1930s speedboat, and it was a beautiful, beautiful speedboat. Don't know anything about boats, but I believe it was made of teak, and it was a really, really expensive, uh, wonderfully crafted boat. And they spent months after months after months restoring it and rebuilding it and polishing the teak and getting it perfectly ready to go in the sea. And one day they said, it's ready, we're taking it to the sea. And they strapped this amazing engine on it, the biggest engine they could find, this huge Suzuki 1250 engine on this beautiful teak boat. They wheeled it into the water using uh, a Land Rover, put it into the water, pushed out, and then said, right, get the engine going, put the engine on, full blast, and it blew the boat up. (laughs) Because the strength of the boat the teak, the wood, the material, its infrastructure wasn't strong enough for that kind of engine to be stuck on it. Um, It just wasn't the right engine for the right material. And there's something about God in the way that he works in our hearts where actually his heart is to cause us to be increasingly able to do the things that Jesus did, to do the signs that make people wonder, to walk in the prophetic, to walk in healing, to walk in greater authority, to walk in greater words of wisdom and uh, words of knowledge. And he's all the time working on the inner world because what he wants to do is strap a big old engine on us and he doesn't want to blow us up. He doesn't want us to be like that teak boat that gets the engine on and suddenly becomes overwhelmed with pride and arrogance. He wants that inner world to be able to carry the authority and the power of the kingdom. And there's a wonderful story in the Bible in uh, 1 Samuel 16 that talks about the way that God views people and the the way that God sees and the fact that God is looking for people who are willing to allow him to work on their inner world before it manifests on the outside. He's looking for people who will say, yes, God, I want you to grow me on the inside, even if it doesn't yet manifest yet on the outside. I'm looking for you, God, to, yeah, I want you to strap a big old engine on me, and I want to bless this world with a revelation of Jesus, and I want people to see something in the power of the kingdom, but I'm willing to allow you to grow me on the inside before that manifests on the outside. And we see that given a wonderful example in the life of King David, Uh, Israel had gone into the land later on. They really, really wanted a king. They wanted their own king. They looked at the other nations and thought, you've all got kings and we want a king so that we're like everybody else. And they chose a man called Saul because Saul was a man who looked really, really impressive on the outside. He was a man who was of formidable height. He looked impressive to them and they chose him. But actually that wasn't what God was looking for. God was looking for a person who was impressive on the inside. He was looking for someone who maybe people would despise when they looked at their outward side, but God would look on the inside. And we heard, actually, uh, Rebecca give that word last week about that God looks at the inside, looks at the heart. And if you read in 1 Samuel, you can read this in verse um, uh, 7, For people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So God was looking at the heart. He was looking at a king whose heart would be for him, whose inner world could actually handle an outer world success. And he was looking for a man like David. And so Samuel's a prophet. He's going to anoint the next king. And each of the brothers comes down 
And, and God says, no, it's not him. That's another impressive one on the outside. It's not him. That's another impressive one on the outside. Do you have another son, Samuel says. And he says, we've just got David, the youngest. And it says, David comes down, and the, the Message Bible says, the runt. <laughs> David was like the weakest, the most unimpressive, the one that didn't impress anybody else in the family. And God says, that's who I want. Because I look at the heart while man looks at the outside. Or I look at the faith. You look at the face, but I look at the heart. And I want to talk about a, an account of how David emerges so that what God is called into on the inside begins to manifest outwards. And so God says to Samuel, this is the prophet, this is who I want. I want this man to be king. And it says that the Holy Spirit came on him. And then he goes back working with sheep, it says. So this, this man that God wants to anoint as king, this one that is impressive, un, unimpressive on the outside, this one who looks like the runt, looks like the weakest, God says, that's who I want as king, because I'm looking on the inside. When you look at the outside, the Holy Spirit comes upon him, but he doesn't immediately become king. He doesn't immediately go from the promise to the palace. He doesn't immediately go from, wow, I've had a prophetic word, I've got a prophetic anointing, God has come over me and on me, and it's like a wind has come through the sails of my life that's somehow, now is it going to take me right from the promise to the palace? And actually, no, God says there's a process. That's what Chris Valentin says. From the promise to the palace, there's a process. And I want to talk a little bit about that process this morning. Because he's anointed king, but he goes to work with sheep. He's anointed to be the head guy. He's got God's favour, but God starts the process right where he is, right where he's at, in the circumstances he finds himself in, looking after sheep. And his circumstances did not look like his vision didn't look like the promise, it didn't look like this dream of becoming king. The circumstances didn't look like that. But it's interesting what David does in this place is that he's faithful where he is. And so even though his circumstances don't look like the promise, the process for David was radical faithfulness right where he is, right in the circumstances he finds himself. As someone once says, David was a man who blossomed, he bloomed where he was planted. He, where he was planted as a shepherd, in isolation, away from people, without the applaud or the plaudits of those around him. In that place, David bloomed. And it's wonderful, we're going to read later on, when he then confronts Goliath later in the story, that in this place was the place of preparation. That God wastes absolutely nothing with us and uses absolutely everything we're facing. Because it was in these moments when David was alone, looking after the sheep, it was here that David learns about prayer. It was here that David learns about worship. It was here that David learned about intimacy with God. It was here that David must have 
he experienced things that later became the Psalms that he wrote. He lived it. It wasn't theoretical for David. He was living the very things that he wrote. And so when he says, the Lord is my shepherd, he's writing that from the experience of knowing what it is to be a shepherd. Of knowing what it is when, we read later on, when the lion comes and steals a lamb, or when a bear comes and steals the lamb, and then he goes after it and pulls out the lamb out of the lion's mouth, or defeats the lion and defeats the bear. David has experienced being that kind of shepherd. And so when he says, the Lord is my shepherd, he's saying, just like I am with sheep, I'm a fierce warrior. I'm a fierce protector. I'm a courageous one. If anything comes near my father's sheep, I will do anything to rescue it, to rescue that lamb out of its mouth. And so when he writes, the Lord is my shepherd, he makes me lie down by quiet waters. He knows about the rhythm for sheep. He's been a shepherd, has experienced it. There's something powerful about the moment of process because we experience the things of God that become authentic um, pillars in our life. Because it's no longer the theory of faith, it's the reality of faith. So when he talks later on about defeating Goliath and says, as it is with what's happened before, so it will be with Goliath, he knows because he's already defeated lions, he's already defeated bears. And he works humbly. I don't know about you, that if I'm working with some sheep and a lion or a bear snatches a lamb, my first reaction will be, well, there's plenty others. <laughs> You're not going to miss. You can take it. You can take the lamb. You can take it. But there's something about David that was so faithful and humble and says, no, you're not taking it. The line is drawn here. I'm going to go after it. He was faithful with his father's property. And this set, us up, set him up for the future success. God wastes nothing in our lives. Everything that's right now surrounding us, God is using to produce quiet trust in our hearts. Absolutely everything. Absolutely everything is redeemable. Absolutely everything is worked together for good. It doesn't mean that God sent everything. It just means that God can redeem absolutely yes. everything. And that everything that we face, everything that's in our lives, everything that's in our families everything that's in our circumstances, everything that's at work, everything that's in our community is an opportunity for quiet trust to be developed in our hearts and quiet confidence to be developed in our lives. He won't waste anything. He'll use absolutely everything. As we'll read in a moment, quiet trust, bold faith, sits on the shoulders of quiet trust. And we want the bold faith moments the bold faith breakthroughs, the bold faith interventions to be happening through us, but that sits on the shoulders of quiet trust. And quiet trust is created in the, in the, in the, in the place of process, in the place of isolation sometimes, in the place where all the circumstances seem contradictory to the promise. It's in that place that God's putting roots in us so that we'll have bold faith later on. And then, then we read that this quiet faith that was developed in David in the place of looking after sheep then gets manifest in an amazing victory over the giant 
Goliath. And so David is sent to the front line of battle <coughs> to deliver some food and to deliver some cheeses to a, 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 a governing official in the army. He's sent from looking after sheep and he's sent down to the front line of a battle. And at the front line of the battle, you've got Israel lined up and you've got the Philistines lined up and you've got this guy called Goliath who's a warrior, who's been a warrior since he was a young man, who's incredibly armed and incredibly powerful, has a sword, a spear, a shield, an armour bearer, an incredible man of strength, an incredible warrior. And this guy walks out seven foot odd and he says this day after day after day. I'm looking for someone who will stand up to me in a fight. <laughs> There's no chance you can beat me, but if you happen to beat me, then we'll consider that you've won the whole war. This is going to be man against man to settle the whole war. If somebody can stand up and fight me, defeat me, then you can say you've defeated all the Philistines and you've won the whole victory. Everybody is terrified and quaking in their boots, including King Saul. No one wants to go and fight this guy. David walks down there from the hills. He's left the sheep with someone else. He tries to work out what's going on. Someone tells him what's going on. And David's reaction is, this is doable. This is winnable. I've seen God deliver me from defeating the lion. I've seen God deliver me when I fought the bear. This will be the same as that. His brothers think that David's got an arrogant, wicked heart that just wants to show off. But David has learned something in the quiet place, in the secret place where no one is looking. David has learned courage, he's learned obedience, he's learned faithfulness, he's learned diligence. He's learned to cross the chicken line and he's seen God deliver him on multiple times. David says to Saul, the king, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep and when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised fellow will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, go, the Lord be with you. I think he's just pleased for somebody. You know, anybody, even if it's this young guy who's never really been in a battle before. And so David takes the testimony, he takes the experience, he takes the victories that were won in private with, with just him and God. Only God watching. Just him and God. He takes that and now he applies it to this situation. And what we hear is an overflow of inner conviction. Inner conviction that was forged in the private, quiet place. David's a man who really believes He's full of conviction. He's full of quiet trust. He's carrying his history with God. He's carrying his history with God that he's learned in private. And he's carrying that now to the public stage. Like how Bill Johnson says, people come up to him and say, will you, will you give me a, a double portion of your anointing? 
And uh, Bill Johnson says, yeah, I'd love a double portion of my own anointing. I'd love to lay hands on myself to get that. Uh-huh. And sometimes people say, will you pray for me to receive your history? No, I can't impart my history with God, he says. I can't impart the stories. I can't impart the private moments where I wrestled in prayer and came out believing. I can't impart to you the private victories. I can't impart to you my history of walking with God. That's something that only you can do with God in humility walking with him. And what we find here is, David says, it will be the same as it was with the lion, and it will be the same as it was with the bear, because I've got a secret history with God. I've got some experience. This is not a theory. This bold faith is sitting on the shoulders of quiet trust. And quiet trust was formed in the private place when no one was looking. And then it overflows in conviction. And so he has this process with God that has established within him a, uh, a sense of momentum, resilience, courage. This will be the same as that. And it's interesting that they try to dress David up in Saul's armour. They say, right, if you're going to fight Goliath, you're going to need to wear the, 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 the shield, you're going to need the sword, you're going to need the uh, armour, and you're going to need the helmet on your head. And so David has a go, and it's kind of a comedy moment, this young guy who's not been trained as a warrior from youth, is a shepherd trying to waddle in this, thinking, yeah, I'm going to go and fight Goliath, dressed in this chainmail or whatever it would have been, this heavy armour. And David says, no, I can't wear that. I'm not used to them. I'm not used to them. It's an interesting phrase, I'm not used to them, because he'd become used to a way of fighting that wasn't that. In the private place, fighting the lion and fighting the bear... He got used to a way of doing it, was the stick in one hand, the sling and the stones. He used the slingshot to defeat. He wasn't used to that. And so, why is that interesting? It's interesting how David will say later on that it was God who delivered him from those, uh, the lion and the bear. And it was ultimately God who would deliver him from from the Philistines. He says in verse 46, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head. That's what he says to Goliath when Goliath mocks him and despises him. And there's this wonderful mix here between the horses prepared for victory, it says in Proverbs, but ultimately victory belongs to the Lord. The, The horses prepared for battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. There's this wonderful combination of I'm responsible, but ultimately he is responsible. There's that wonderful combination of I'm not used to that method, but I'm used to the sling and I'm used to the stones, but ultimately my confidence isn't in what I'm used to. It's in the fact that God gives victory, God gives breakthrough, God um, wins wars, God makes things happen, God brings the breakthrough. And so there's a wonderful marrying up of Let's learn to walk with God in the secret place. Let's get used to a way of walking. Let's, let's grow in courage in our imagination. I've heard people say that if we want to be in breakthrough in the streets, begin to imagine, begin to imagine getting used to in your own head what you'll do in a gospel opportunity, what you'll do 
in a moment when the sick are there and you're going to pray for them. Imagine the person getting out of the wheelchair. Imagine your courage. Imagine your boldness. Imagine your bravery. Imagine you in the supermarket getting a word of knowledge and bringing the prophetic word that brings the breakthrough. Begin to imagine it and then look for the opportunity for that conviction to manifest in public. But when it manifests in public, you're then saying, actually, this is how I'm used to it working, but I'm expecting the victory to come from God. There's something that we can do. We're not just passively waiting. And so to conclude, God always thinks long term. So from, I'm looking at the heart, I'm looking for the heart of the man, to David becoming king, is a, I don't know, some people say about a 13 year process between the, prom, the promise, the process and the palace. And there's a whole host of things that happen in between. Yes, he defeats Goliath. Yes, he's, he's victorious. And then later on, it, it, it goes from bad to worse in different circumstances until God brings the ultimate breakthrough and God brings the ultimate promotion. God thinks long term. God has a long term strategy. We think often short term. We get the prophetic word, we get the promise, and we think it's going to be tomorrow. And actually, God thinks long term. God thinks, I'm going to make sure the teak of this ship, as it were, is really able to handle the power when I want to pour it in. I'm going to grow this person in the secret place. I'm going to grow them as they put roots into me. And that bold faith will always sit on a foundation of quiet trust. And quiet trust is often developed in the secret history with God. The secret decisions. The secret moments of worship when you don't feel like it. The secret decisions to pursue righteousness when no one's looking. The secret choices that we make day by day, moment by moment. is that that God is causing to become a foundation that he can place opportunities for bold faith in. God thinks long term. God thinks deep, lasting, visible fruit And he knows that it starts in the secret place. Jesus is saying, I chose you to bear fruit, fruit that will last. God's talking about fruit that will have a multi-generational effect. He's not just talking about a tree that blooms and blossoms and has some fruit for ten minutes. He's looking for a multi-generational impact. He's looking for fruit that will last. And it takes a long time to get fruit that will last. There's a There's an application here that what's happening now is vital and significant. What's going on in your life right now is not somehow separate from the promise. God can redeem it. God wastes nothing. God can use it. God can use it as a mechanism, as a preparation for the kind of fruit that he wants your life to bear. He's developing a root system in you and he's developing a root system in us. What's happening right now is significant. What's happening right now is vital. What God's doing right now is really, really important. He's causing us to be the kind of people who worship God at a higher level. He's causing us to become people who increasingly trust him, trust him deeply. He's causing our root system to go into him. He's causing greater affection to grow in our hearts for Jesus. We're falling more and more and more in love with him. There's a sense he's re-evangelizing the church with the good news about Jesus. And as he's doing that, our roots are going into Christ and the hope that's in Christ are going deeper and deeper and deeper. He's causing us to be uh, uh, filled with a greater level of hope and joy. It's becoming an inner conviction. What God's doing right now is significant. And then what will happen is that inner world will spill out all around us. 
So that when we face hopelessness, when we face despair, when we face joylessness, when we face situations where people are perplexed and harassed and despairing, we will have a secret history, a secret well, a secret place that we can draw out from and like David and say, this will be the same as that. Because I've overcome that and this will be the same for you as it was for me. You can overcome that because I've got a story. I've overcome, as it were, the lion and the bear when no one was watching. I can bring that story out, that conviction, out to you and tell you in a, in a greater way than I could have done without my secret history. Yes. And so God is doing something in us and he's setting us up for public, public victories. And it's interesting for David in closing that he's just going from the sheep down to deliver some cheese and to deliver some food. He doesn't know that this is going to be a significant major turning point victory in his life. He doesn't know that what God has seen in the secret he's now going to emerge into the public. He doesn't know that this is the moment. He doesn't know that this is going to be the great moment of victory that he's now going to slay Goliath. Israel's going to have an incredible victory and this is going to be the beginning of a process that's also going to be leading him to the palace. He doesn't know that. He just faithfully left the sheep with someone. He's come down, going to give some food to his brothers. And what overflows from his mouth is secret place conviction. Secret place conviction. He's fully persuaded and convinced God can do this. I've seen God can do this. I've seen it before. It's not performance. He's not coming down into the valley thinking, right, how does a man in one day going to be king operate in this situation when they're faced with a giant? Well, shall I make this and make this a moment? It's an overflow of deep-rooted, confident faith and conviction in God that leads to a breakthrough. So our role is not to think, what does a believing believer act like? It's actually to become one and become fully convinced and persuaded deep in our hearts on every biblical truth so that in moments it overflows in conviction. It overflows in conviction so that the risk as it were, crossing the chicken line to pray for the sick, has actually been developed in the private place because you've done it in the church and you've seen the lion and the bear defeated. And you think, this will be the same as that. And it comes out of your mouth, I know one who can deliver from hopelessness. I know one who can heal that. I know one who can bring a breakthrough to that. And it blurts out of your mouth. It blurted out of David's mouth and people think, oh, he thinks he's something when he's nothing, he's got a wicked heart. He thinks, no, no, I'm just telling you what's my conviction. I'm telling you what I've seen. The Lord is my shepherd. I've seen him rescue me. I've seen him be a fierce deliverer. I've seen him to be a fortress. I've experienced him as a rock that's higher than I. Now that's just going to pour out. That's going to pour out and that's going to pour out. Private place moments of determining. Actually, I want to come to a place of faith on this, God. I want to come to a place of belief on this, God. I want to play, come to a place of rest on this, God. I want to come to a place of conviction on this, God. Develop it in me. Develop it in me. And your goal isn't even waiting for the debt blurts out. It's just you and him, trusting him in the midst of circumstances, in the private place. And then eventually it will become something that you won't be able to hold in. Because you'll be looking at an impossible situation and you'll know from personal history, you know somebody who can overcome impossible situations and it will just come out. I know an answer to that. I've got a solution to that. It will be the same as it was here. And that's how it grows. So it's not performance. Believing for cultural transformation and impacting a whole area is not a new bunch of Christians with even greater weight on them. It's actually people who, in the secret place, are learning to trust God 
learning to believe God, learning to take God at his word. And we never know at what point we go from private, us and God, personal history, to sudden launch out. You never know. And so you want to use everything, redeem everything, take everything that's in your life right now and say, I want that to become the foundation of quiet trust in you, God. Because one day that's going to become a bold faith. It's going to manifest. As one person says, it's impossible to be successful on the inside and for it not to manifest on the outside. It's impossible to have an inner world of trust and faith and confidence in God that doesn't eventually burst the banks and affect and change and bless everywhere you go. It's impossible. It's impossible. So in a devotion to Jesus, loving him, trusting him, believing him, getting conviction, having an inner world transformation is the key to fulfilling the Great Commission. Is the key to overflow. I invite us to stand.